0: Today, we're breaking down the first three days of Broncos camp. What have been the key observations? What have been the takeaways? We're also unveiling a new segment. You are listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Welcome to the Huddle Up Podcast, your go to show for all things Broncos. Welcome in, everybody, to the Huddle Up podcast presented by Mile High Huddle in 24 7 Sports. I am your host, Chad Jensen. With me is my co host, my partner in crime. He is your Denver Broncos reporter for 24 7 Sports. He is Zach Kelberman. Zach, the wait is over. We finally have some real events. Football is taking place out on the grass at Dove Valley. Camp is officially underway.
1: It feels good, my brother. Finally, football is back in Dove Valley, and it's been a pretty interesting three days. We'll have a lot to talk about today, but I'm glad that football is around the corner. We got the Pro Football Hall of Fame game coming up this week, and, and football is, is here, so it's definitely exciting. Absolutely. We got football all the way through till the end of this year, so
0: each weekend, something to look forward to. And this is just, a, you know, we're getting, getting to the beginning of that time of year that, that I think most of us live for.
1: Yeah, it's definitely my favorite time of year, and a lot of Broncos fans' favorite time of year.
0: You guys follow the show on Twitter, huddle up pod, and make sure you take some time if you've not done it to leave a creative review wherever you listen to the show, but especially if it's iTunes, Stitcher, iHeart, YouTube. Take some time, let us know what you think, give us your feedback, make it creative. Great way to help support the show. And one last piece of business before we jump into things here, we got to say thank you to our sponsor of today's show, Audible. You guys get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash huddle up. There's over 180,000 titles to choose from, whether you're on an iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player, audibletrial.com slash huddle up. You've heard me talk about it before. For those of you who are big readers We don't always have the time to sit down and turn the pages on the books that we want to read. But Audible allows us to get these books under our belt while we're multitasking, while we're doing other things. And even if you're not a big reader, there's always something for everybody on Audible. I mean, there's football books. There's nonfiction books. There's fiction books. There's everything you can imagine. Over 180,000 different titles to choose from. And if you love listening to podcasts, which obviously you do, that's why you're listening to the show, I can promise you you will dig listening to Audible. And we're giving you a chance to try it out for free and get a free audiobook to go along with it for 30 days. So go to audibletrial.com slash huddle up, pull the trigger, sign up, come back, let us know how you liked it. Thank you, Audible. All right, so we got a lot to get to today. Obviously, the Denver Broncos kicked off training camp over the weekend. And as we are recording this, uh, they got three practices under their belt. Now, we've already learned vastly more, Zach, about this team than we knew when last we were able to talk to our listeners. So we'll get to kind of some of the observations here, some of the immediate takeaways thus far. And I think number one on the list has got to be Case Keenum. By all appearances and granted, we understand that it's training camp, it's practice. The the shells went on for the first time on Monday, and then Tuesday, the, the team is going to be in full pads. So... You know, it's the tip of the iceberg. We're just scratching the surface. But the first three days, Case Keenum looks like the real deal. I mean, the offense, Zach, has been the aggressor. You got guys making plays. You got defensive guys talking after practice about being on their heels. And, you know, nobody likes to get beaten, whether it's an individual or in a team period. But you can see that the defense is – they're kind of they're, they're kind of tickled over the fact that this they don't really know what's coming next from the offense. And it's a refreshing change – Based on the last two years of how bad things have been offensively,
1: it's so weird to me to see the defense owned by the Broncos offense. Usually you're you're accustomed to seeing Trevor Simeon and Paxton Lynch get swallowed up by the Broncos defense, but it's been a, a you know, the, the power shift has taken hold uh, in training camp this year with Case Keenum, who's just been phenomenal, worth every penny. Of his $36 million contract, this is why they got him as a veteran leader, a true commander of the huddle, and he's really lived up to billing so far. One thing that stood out to me is that he's completed bomb after bomb after bomb on this no-fly zone secondary, and they've beaten Chris Harris Jr. three practices in a row now. And I know it's practice. I know... Uh, to quote AI, we're talking about practice here, but it, it's it's encouraging to see that the Broncos offense can pull their own weight and not rely solely on the defense to get the job done this season. Case Keenum has been magnificent, and I'm so looking forward to seeing him when the bullets start flying for real. I
0: mean, we're used to seeing Broncos quarterbacks the last two years be gun-shy, hold on to the ball too long, right. uh, take too long to make decisions, and just lack that confidence to distribute the ball, get it out on time, and so it's made the offensive line look worse. It's made skill position players uh, look worse than they are. And you're starting to see, I mean, as you said, you go back and, and one of the best highlights that I can recommend uh, to fans who aren't able to attend and watch practice is usually about late afternoon is about how long it takes. You can go to the Denver Broncos YouTube channel, and they always put a little cut-up of the top plays, usually about a minute and a half to two and a half minute mm. highlight video. And you can kind of see what's taken place. And the Broncos offense, I mean, usually what you've seen from the, from those type of videos in years past are big defensive plays uh, taking place. And this, this year, it's, as you said, bomb after bomb, guys winning on fade routes in, in red zone work, guys scoring
1: touchdowns. It's absolutely refreshing. And one thing that stood out to me is that, like you said, he Case Keenum has made everyone everyone else around him better couldn't talk for a second there <laughs> but what it makes for Keenum is that he has more offensive weapons the Broncos did a good job surrounding their new starting quarterback with enough weapons to take hold now they have Cortland Sutton now they have uh, Deshaun Hamilton they had Jake butt who's fully healthy now yep. to go along with two great receivers in Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders you can never have too many pass catchers too many weapons and who do you cover as an opposing defense, if the Broncos' offense is getting uh, the better of their defensive counterparts, what opposing team? How do you cover this this offense? Yeah. I know it's early. I know it's it's practice, and I know it's you know drills and this and that. But it's it's very encouraging that Case Keenum is the spark, and he's really exceeding expectations to this point.
0: He doesn't have to be Peyton Manning in order no, for this team to win. And I've I've written it you know this way a, a few times since the Broncos signed him, but. I see him as having the type of impact that Jake Plummer had when Jake first came back in 2003. And mm-hmm. even though it didn't end well for Jake, you know, there's some extenuating circumstances that weren't necessary, necessarily his fault as to why things ended the way they did for him in Denver. But case, but, but what happened with Jake Plummer is the Bron, he comes to town, the Broncos go to the playoffs – three straight years culminating in an AFC Championship game of which he plays his worst game basically as a Bronco, and they failed to advance to go on to the Seahawks, which I think they would have beat the Seahawks if they would have beaten the upstart Pittsburgh Steelers with a young Ben Roethlisberger. But that's a story for another time. I can <laughs> see the Broncos following a similar track. They're not going to be world beaters all of a sudden with, with Case Keenum, but Case Keenum puts him in the conversation. I think just like with Jake Plummer, those first couple of years, they kind of pushed from the bottom at the wild card level. They'd get to the, the wild card round. Both times they got knocked out by Peyton Manning, If for Broncos fans who can remember back to that that period. The next year, though, they finally made a big push, got to the AFC Championship game. So if Case Keenum can have that type of an effect, which I, I, I see happening, I mean, that's, that's good things. That's a marked turnaround for a Broncos team that's coming off
1: two consecutive seasons of missing the playoffs and 5-11. and 11. Uh, great minds because i've written the same thing extensively that they don't need tom brady aaron Rodgers. they don't need an all pro it would be nice to have that at quarterback they need a stable veteran hand who won't turn the football over can make plays and win games on the strength of his shoulder they can win because of him not in spite of him and that's what you've seen in 2016 they went nine and seven because of their defense last year they were five and eleven because they had no offense to have both things kind of come into place it's going to give the Broncos at least having Case Keenum a couple extra wins yeah. this year, and then you never know. They catch a break; they can go eight and eight, nine and seven, ten and six. To have the quarterback under center, like you said, they don't have to be world beaters; they just have to be competent. And if you can just avoid turnovers and make enough plays, this team can definitely go places. I think that's fair. It's a fair assessment. And speaking, you 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 mentioned it. I mean,
0: you're seeing weapons come out of the woodworks. At at uh, training camp right now, especially at the wide receiver uh, position, you got guys making plays left and right. One of the guys who has just been absolutely on fire—he looks literally reborn—is Emmanuel Sanders. And really, he's—I mean, there have been times he looks like the best player on the field, and he's 30 years old. So I mean, you wrote about uh, it—I don't know whatever it was—about a month back, kind of in the dead time of the NFL (laughs) offseason. Emmanuel Sanders questioned last year whether or not he even wanted to keep playing football, or questioned his desire sure. to, to for football, and and that seems to be changing. He's all of a sudden he's got some pep to his step. He's talking like a leader. He's producing out on the field, and we've seen what type of impact a motivated and a passionate Emmanuel Sanders can have on this Broncos offense. If you think back to his first, I mean, first three years with the club, so I'm excited to see how that relationship can continue to blossom especially once we get into the season.
1: He's admitted on a a number of occasions now that Case Keenum re-sparked his love of the game and re-sparked his motivation. And he said it yesterday. He gushed about Case Keenum and he said, we got our quarterback. We can check that off the list now. This Broncos offense and these playmakers and receivers are divas. We all know that. And Emmanuel Sanders especially. Great player, but a little bit of a personality he was not happy with the Broncos quarterback in the last couple years yeah. and how could you blame him going from Peyton Manning to Trevor Simeon it's, it's <laughs> yeah. going from the penthouse to the outhouse there That's right. so now that he has a competent quarterback in place he's so re-energized and you can see it in his, in his play and in practice and he did question his love of the game but I also think a part of that is to prove to the NFL because he probably knows the writings on the wall here he was lucky to be brought back this year with his hefty contract he'll probably be playing in a new team next season, more than likely, yeah. if they keep Demarius Thomas. So I think he wants to prove to the NFL, and not only the Broncos, and he said it too, uh, that he still has gas left in the tank and he, he can still be a playmaker. But uh, like same thing with Shane Ray, who we'll touch on in just a second here. The, the more they can get out of him for yeah. motivation and positive play, it only benefits the team and the player. So uh, he has looked great, and you can't have too many pass-catching weapons on that offense.
0: I mean, before training camp, honestly, it I think everyone felt... Who analyzes and fans, too. I mean, everyone felt like 2018 was as good as, I mean, you could just count on this probably being his last year in Denver. But the way he's playing, if he can translate that, convert that momentum into the season, I'm not going to bank on it, but there's a chance he could stick around and make that remaining uh, $10.25 million that's on his Broncos contract. Because if you look at it, you know, they have a decision to make with both of those, those wideouts at the top of the depth chart. But... I mean, they've got Cortland Sutton and Deshaun Hamilton on the cheap for the next four years. So if he does enough to really advance this, help advance this offense and you see the Broncos' offense finish even in the top ten, I could see the Broncos making sacrifices at other places to keep Emmanuel Sanders. And that, I think, would include also Demarius Thomas health-willing. I think if you see Emmanuel Sanders have a big year, you're probably
1: going to see Demarius Thomas as well have, uh, some, some, put up some good stats. I think these both receivers are 1,000-yard potential yeah. uh, in this season with a, a competent quarterback. Uh, but I think whether they keep one or both of them will come down to the uh, the development of Hamilton and Sutton, who are clones of Sanders and Thomas, respectively. So it, it, it depends on their play, but it also depends on the development, how fast those rookie receivers can learn in this offense. And by all accounts, the uh, they've come along very well so far. I mean, if Demarius and, and Sanders can
0: each get... A thousand yards in 2016, catching balls predominantly from Trevor Simeon. All right. I mean, sky's the limit. I would think with Case <laughs> Keenum. But another uh, another outfit that has generated a lot of excitement at training camp has been the offensive line. Now, just a couple days—well, the day before actually, training camp opened—we had some semi ominous news from Vance Joseph. We were expecting uh, from comments they had made earlier in the season or offseason, I should say, that Ronald Leary and Jared Valdir were going to be good to go, hit the ground running when camp opened. But yet we found out on Friday when Vance Joseph spoke at the media barbecue that they were going to kind of be eased back into action and receive basically half reps to kind of start. Well, it hasn't really turned out that way. They were inserted in the starting lineup. We finally got to see what Denver's vision for that starting five looks like. And basically, to wit, what it is is, Garrett Bowles left tackle, Leary left guard, Matt Paradis center, of course. Connor McGovern getting the first swing at the plate at right guard. It's his job to lose. And then Valdir at right tackle. And so far they've been receiving enormous compliments on both sides of the ball, but it's been particularly gratifying in my mind to see guys like Derek Wolfe, who who does not hand out compliments for nothing, say nice things and, and compliment this unit that has been beleaguered over the last two years.
1: I mean the the Broncos defense, they they're not stupid. They know the Broncos offensive line. They it has some definitely uh, the weak weak spots on that line with men like Watson, Stevenson, Max Garcia. So they recognize that the as a whole they're better. But for this position and for this group as a whole, it really comes down to chemistry, continuity, and then gelling together. Uh, I'm excited for them on paper, but I want to see them play some games together, uh, get some chemistry going, some continuity, and they can build together because they have Leary moving to a new spot, they have a new right tackle, they have a new right guard, and while they're all good on paper and they should be a massive upgrade on what you saw last year without the turnstiles in place, hmm. I, I do think that um, you know I want to see them b- develop, and that's why I think Vance Joseph... Didn't wait to insert them. I think he wants to get them in from day one and, and let them go, protect Case Keenum, let him go run block for the running backs. Yep. So it's – it's on paper it looks good, but I want to see what happens when the pads go on and the games start counting. Yeah, absolutely.
0: You know, and it's really interesting too is going back to Derek Wolf, What he pointed to, he said that, first of all, last year, you know, he's used to just beating dudes uh, in one-on-one drills in team period, just getting by whatever offensive lineman was in front of him. And that hasn't been the case. Each rep has been hard fought every time through three practices. And what he attributed to, I mean, he talked about footwork, he talked about technique, and he pointed to this new approach the Broncos took this year in – assigning a coach to work specifically with the interior, the guards, and the centers, and a coach to work specifically with the tackles. And, you know, it's kind of a different approach as it relates to the NFL, what Vance Joseph decided to do there. But the early returns, it's looking like
1: it's actually making a difference there. Yeah, I wasn't thrilled about that. I thought it was unnecessarily divvying up the duties, but credit to Van Joseph, if he found a great guy in Sean Coogler to handle the interior, and they have Chris Strausser to handle the uh, the edge protectors. But it's it's worked out for them. But again, I want to see it come together on paper because this time last year, everyone was happy about Metalik Watson, the the pickup they got from Oakland. And before that, it was Stevenson. So I want to see what happens in, regu- in preseason and regular season. I want to see them come together, but it's a good start so far. Now, you brought him up, Shane Ray, obviously full go this
0: time. Uh, Quite the surprise, quite the shocker. I mean, just a few weeks ago, we were all expecting Shane Ray to basically be out for the duration of training camp, the duration of preseason, and probably to miss the first couple of regular season games. And yet we found out on the doorstep of training camp that he decided to forego his surgery on the wrist, and he's been doing a specific type of rehab to get ready. Uh, the team has also put together kind of a makeshift splint for that wrist, which in application in in practice has caused him to have very little pain, very little discomfort, according to him. So it's been good to see Shane Ray. I mean, Vance Joseph was, was talking about how explosive he looks. And, I mean, with four guys now, and this is just a quick aside, we have yet to really hear anything positive or negative about Jeff Holland, but looking at those four guys, Vaughn Miller, Shane Ray, Bradley Chubb, and Shaq Barrett, this looks like a unit that's going to be four deep and at
1: full strength week one against Seattle. You saw Shane Ray come out in the first practice, and he ragdolled Garrett Bowles, threw him around. And that's a 330-pound uh, <laughs> lineman. So it's it's encouraging to see that Shane Ray is back to full health, and he is so motivated right now. He is, has the biggest chip on his shoulder to show that the Broncos made a mistake declining his fifth-year option, to show he was worthy of that being a first-round pick, to show he can be a starter in the NFL. And he's motivated. He's ready to go, and he's ready to reclaim that starting spot. He's not ready to give that up to Chubb J yet so it's all systems go for Shane Ray I was surprised you were surprised the fans were surprised he avoided his fourth surgery Uh, rest and rehab was the key for him and I hope he doesn't re-aggravate it uh, but as of right now, I think he is penciled in that OLB, and he will rotate with Chubb, but it's good news so, for him so far. And like you said, this Broncos edge-rushing unit is going to be so terrifying because they can even rotate guys who would be starters on other teams. Yep. That's who they have as backups. So it's going to be a nightmare for opposing teams, and it's be really fun for us to watch. I'm just looking forward to seeing that NASCAR unit, man, with right. Juan Miller yeah.
0: on one edge. you got Shane maybe on the other edge. You got Bradley Chubb kicks inside to rush as an interior, like from the three-tech or five-tech. I mean, just unbelievable what the Broncos are going to be able to throw at opposing offenses in 2018. So let's hope that momentum can continue through training camp and into the preseason. And speaking of momentum, we got to talk about Cortland Sutton. I mean, this guy established himself as the star of OTAs, this rookie, just about six weeks back. He's found a way to carry that over into training camp. He's making cornerback teammates look silly at times. Guys like Brendan Langley <sighs> and Isaac Yitim, they're doing he's doing them no favors. But how good? I mean, it's been a while since yeah. – you know, Broncos fans are, are you know once bitten, twice shy, right? Like they haven't – they've never seen John Elway draft a, a, a wide receiver that can come in and make an impact, and yet here's Cortland Sutton just making – phenomenal catch after catch just highlight reel after highlight reel type of of catch broncos fans want to get excited i can sense it in the comments and the engagement they want to get stoked on this kid but it's just training camp how good could this kid be you think
1: well Broncos he's also wearing cody latimer's number so broncos fans are a little true. gun shy there um but Which no was, he can well, be that was an odd choice real quick why the heck right. did he pick 14 I, I don't that because six wasn't 16 available yeah benny power left so yeah anyway it's, I don't know, but maybe he's thinking he can break the curse. But I think he can. I think he could be the first great Broncos receiver uh, that Elway really built up as a second-round pick. And he can be a number one. He's He wants to emulate Demarius Thomas, and I think he really can be. He drew comparisons to Thomas, to Alshon Jeffrey. He can be that true number one. And if they can have a third number one on this offense, that is downright scary. He mossed Langley in minicamp. He owned uh, Yadam in, in, in uh, OTAs. He is making, like you said, the cornerbacks look silly and he's getting even the better of the veteran corners mm-hmm. like Roby and Chris Harris Jr. Um, he's just a monster red zone target, huge catch radius, big body, yep. just a, a big red zone threat. And I was, I love the pick when they, they stole him in the second round. He had a first round grade. So he can be, the sky's truly his limit. He could be a number one, but right now they need him to be that number three for the moment. And in that role, he's going to be downright terrifying for Case Keenum to th- lob the ball up to.
0: I mean, you see it, and this is one of my complaints with Demarius Thomas. I mean, this is a phenomenally big wide receiver. He's lost weight this year. You know, he's actually quite trimmed down, and that's been a, a theme over the last two years, actually. But you know, he's he's used to playing like six. He's six three, and he's usually around two twenty five to two two thirty, which is huge for a wide receiver. If you go back and watch the uh, uh, the NFL Films production of the Tebow victory over the Steelers when DT took that uh, that Slant pattern, eighty yards, and in, in overtime, and beat the Steelers. There's a comment when Big Ben first takes the field because remember that's 2011. That's Demarius Thomas' second year. He still he was a first round pick a, a year earlier, but you know he's still relatively unknown. And when Big Ben takes the field, they're doing warm-ups, and there's a little scene where he's like, "Damn, dude, who's that 88? Is that a tight end? I'm like, yeah. no, that's a wideout." He's like, "Damn, that dude's big," and he is. And yet, you never really have seen. I shouldn't say never because it's an absolute, but very rarely do we, do you see Demarius Thomas use his size to an advantage, and yet you're mm-hmm. seeing uh, Cortland Sutton, as a rookie in training camp, box the defenders out, uh, use that size as a weapon, as a tool in which to create separation and attack the ball, and it's, and it's working. And you've got a quarterback now in Case Keenum who knows how to fit the ball in, who has been tremendously accurate, especially thus far through camp, I mean, sky's the limit with this kid. It's just a matter of how do you work him into the rotation in a way that does not compromise, uh, you know, the, the chemistry with Thomas, with Sanders. And I think the answer to that question is he's going to be a guy that's going to see a lot of snaps in the red zone as a rookie.
1: Yeah, if they could just use him in that role when they get you know, inside the 20 just to throw the ball up in the end zone, that could be a success. But what I like about Sutton is that you can move him around. He can play outside, he can play the slot. You put him outside, he's bigger than a cornerback and you can't match up with him there. Put him in the slot, he, he'll beat a safety and he's too fast for a linebacker. So he's really a movable chess piece for a guy his size. And he doesn't have to be a number one on this team right now. If he can just come on the field, on passing situations, in red zone opportunities, he can provide instant, immediate contributions to this offense and give Case Keenum yet another weapon, a, a, a Thomas clone. And uh, you, you really can't go wrong with that.
0: Another guy who's... Uh had some success, at least on Monday, Jake Butt. He'd actually been kind of quiet through day one and two of camp. But on Monday, he absolutely exploded with multiple touchdown grabs uh, in the, the team period red zone drills. And I don't know, similar to what we've seen uh, or what how we're kind of projecting Cortland Sutton as a rookie, I think the biggest impact that Jake Butt can make in his first year really in the NFL is in the red zone. I mean, I, I can see Case Keenum and the and and Bill Musgrave finding ways to use him. Obviously, between the twenties, but I think he can be a,
1: a big asset when the Broncos get into the red zone. Yeah, I think he's going to win this job by default too, because Hireman is is mm. injured now, and uh, he hasn't really proven much. And you have Austin Trailer, and you have a rookie and Troy Fumagalli who's coming off surgery. So I think Butt will be the tight end one by default, yep. and he hasn't really popped so far. But we have a lot of camp and preseason to go. But like you said, he's just another pass-catching red zone weapon for this offense. And like I said earlier, how do you cover everyone? You have Demarius Thomas, Sanders, Sutton, Hamilton, but yep. you have Devontae Booker as a pass-catching running back. How do you cover everyone? You cannot. So I think based on that fact alone, based on the numbers game, but will find success primarily in the red zone? All it takes with that equation you
0: just laid out there is a quarterback that can find the mismatches and exploit them. And I think... Case Keenum is at a point in his development where he is seeing the field like a true seven-year veteran and it's going to pay dividends for this offense. But I don't want to downplay it too much because Jake Butt did have a very productive Monday. It was definitely his, his day three was his biggest day of training camp thus far. But another dark horse, another guy who's been making some some uh, noise at tight end is Austin Trailer, who's been mm-hmm. a surprisingly uh, productive receiving tight end thus far through camp. So keep an eye on him as we move forward. And then lastly here, before we uh, we transition out, segue, Carlos Henderson. Obviously, we learned from Coach uh, Joseph. Uh, you wrote about this over the last couple of days. The coach and several of Carlos Henderson's teammates have tried to reach out to him. For those who might have missed it, uh, he was put on the did not report list in the days, a couple of days leading up to camp. He's got some kind of uh, intense Family situation going on is all we really know, something extremely private, but obviously some drama. That's a real situation he's attached to here. Um, The team is ready to welcome him back to camp as soon as he's ready for football, but it doesn't sound like he's been too responsive, Zach, to his teammates who've tried to reach out to him. Is it time? I know how I feel about this, but do you feel like it's time for fans to start kind of emotionally writing off Carlos Henderson at this point?
1: I think it's a little too soon to throw in the towel because he hasn't even taken one snap in a Broncos uniform in a regular season game. Uh, I feel bad for the kid. I mean, You couldn't script a worse start to an NFL career than Henderson's. He missed his entire rookie year, then he was popped for marijuana in January, then he sat out the spring with a hamstring injury, now he has a family issue that popped up. And the Broncos have taken a, a, real, a tough love approach with him. Uh, Joseph has called him out on a number of occasions now saying if he wants to make this team, he has to get healthy, uh, if he wants to make the team, he has to come back to camp and we don't know what the, the issue is what his problem is if it's a family problem that's out of his control and as disappointing as he is and he was a third round pick you got to give him time because some things are bigger than football and that's what um Emmanuel Sanders said when he reached out to him I, I would not count on anything though I would not expect anything 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 the Broncos get out of Henderson this season, if at anything, would be the cherry on top of what they have in their receiving core. So, uh, is it time to throw him the towel? No. Is he a bust yet? No. But it's definitely veering in that direction. It's, he's really off to a, a truly horrible start.
0: Listeners have heard me say this before, and especially those of you that follow have followed my writing over the years, but the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior it's not an absolute mm. because some people change it does happen but the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior and although we're you know we we're, we're hearing about this family situation it sounds like something that's outside of his control it's another piece to the puzzle it's another piece to the pattern and the problem with carlos Anderson, as you said it that he's had just an yeah can you have a worse start to a pro career? (laughs) I don't think you can, but there's a pattern that has been built into that uh, mosaic, if you will. It's, and it's not encouraging. In fact, I think you can see the Broncos, they're continuing to talk about it because they're being asked uh, by we in the media, what's going on here with Carlos Henderson. But I think even they have already written Carlos Henderson off to a certain degree. And here's how you, you know why the Broncos signed Philly Brown off the street, and Vance Joseph talked about it. I think it was Saturday after practice uh, when he was asked about Philly Brown. He said, I don't have the quote directly in front of me because this this kind of turned, uh, I didn't have it prepared, my apologies. But he said to paraphrase something to the effect of he had a conversation with Philly Brown and said, look, you know, we signed you to make this team. They're, the Broncos are fu- fully, and we can talk about, we'll talk about Philly Brown here in just a few minutes actually when we go through the injury roundup. But the Broncos, are they sign Philly Brown because they expect him to make the team. That's wide out number five right there. If they keep six, and that's if they do, it's going to be somebody who's been at, at training camp competing their asses off, not Carlos Henderson. So let's say Carlos Henderson shows up halfway through camp. Let's say he shows up three quarters of the way through camp. I don't care when it is, but he shows up very late to the party. Yeah, he's a third-round pick, but the Broncos aren't going to just grandfather him a spot on the roster and mm-hmm. shoot themselves in the foot when... You got a guy like whoever it might be, Isaiah McKenzie, maybe it's Tim Patrick, maybe it's River Craycraft, whoever's been really showing out during training camp and preseason, that's who's going to get the nod. And then what do you do with Carlos Henderson? All you can do is wave him. You can't put him on injured reserve if he's not injured. You can't, I mean, you can wave him and try and sneak him onto the practice squad and thereby keep him within the organization, but they're starting to get to a slippery slope where it's going to spin out of their control to hold on to him if he doesn't find a way to punch in. and and get back and you know what look i understand things happen that are outside of our control but Derek wolf you can go uh going back to the broncos uh, youtube channel go there there's a fun little video it's two and a half minutes something like that of uh, broncos tv following him from home to arriving on campus for training camp and he talked about the type of mindset as a pro that you have to have and even justin simmons in a similar video talked the same thing you have to be able to compartmentalize and shut off your personal life from your professional. When you're getting paid the big bucks, you have to be able to separate the two and move forward as a professional. And I just don't see this ever happening for Carlos Sanderson. I'm sorry. Like I see this dude's time in Denver is already done. He's, he's a bust and I hope it's I'm wrong. I really do. Cause he's a third round pick and I was super high on him. I was stoked when the Broncos picked him. I mean, his tape at, at Louisiana tech was phenomenal, but the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior, and the Broncos are running out of options, and so is Carlos Henderson if he doesn't show up.
1: It's a shame, too, because earlier this offseason, he was really putting the work in after he was you know, arrested. He was bulking up, and he was running routes, and he was counted on, as Vance Joseph said, to be that number three. They, they had very high hopes for him. It just didn't work out. And I think once the Broncos took two receivers in the draft, That was a big indictment on him and Isaiah McKenzie. They wanted to hedge their bets a little bit. But to your point, it's a great point that the Broncos players, his teammates right now are busting their asses in training camp. They're sweating, they're grinding, they're bleeding. And you have a guy who's sitting, uh, you know, away from out of the picture with a Mm non-injury. And he he comes back in the locker room and, listen, we've done all this and you're going to just come in and you're going to be on the 53? That's not really fair. So you wonder how that affects chemistry. And even Emmanuel Sanders said yesterday he doesn't know if that would cause any tension. He he doesn't know how uh, the Broncos would welcome him back to that locker room. So it's definitely a tricky situation. I would not be surprised if he is indeed waived. Personally, though, I just think it's it's a little too soon to
0: write him off just yet. And I understand that he does represent a third-round pick by the team, and he's a phenomenally talented individual. But he's got to get it together between the ears, and until he does that, he's not going to be able to help himself, and he's not going to be able to help this team. Now, here in just a second, Zach and I, we're going to parse through the injury roundup through three days of camp. We're going to unveil a new segment and, of course, take a couple questions from the mailbag. But first, got to holler at you about why you need to become a Mile High Huddle 24-7 Sports VIP subscriber. Some of you might have missed it, but we ran a flash sale. uh, I think it was Friday last week in honor of training camp starting the next day. There was an opportunity to get five months for the price of one. It was one day, flash sales. We don't decide that, just so you know. The brass on the network decides when that's going to happen. We run it. And they tell us when it's going to be, how long it's going to be, this particular flash sale, one day, one day only. So those of you that got in, welcome. We're glad to have you. Those of you who didn't, it's still not too late because our approach to covering the Broncos, it's not just about reporting the news. As important as that is, we pride ourselves on being able to relay to you all the breaking news on the Broncos as it's happening in real time. But we really like to focus on breaking down the Broncos in depth, whether it's all 22 film reviews, X's and O's deep dive player evaluation, and we save our best and most in-depth content for our VIP subscribers, our premium members. Now, to become a Mile High Huddle VIP, get access to 100% of our written analysis and our VIP insider forums, go to the website, click on the green banner. At the top, you can choose the monthly or the annual option. Annual option saves you a few bucks over a year. you'll be locked in and from there you get access to everything we produce which includes any insider info we pick up along the way and you guys know we bust our humps to bring you the best Broncos coverage and analysis on the web and we ask for your support by becoming a VIP subscriber pull the trigger you have our word you will not be disappointed all right let's go through the injury roundup here since camp started um, there's been uh, a couple of strikes by the injury bug Monday was by far the worst Here's how it's shaped up so far. Garrett Bowles, it was a scare on Monday, took a shot to the jaw and uh, ended up going through concussion testing but was cleared to play. So he he left practice on a cart uh, in the morning but was back on the field for walkthroughs in the afternoon. So he seems to be good to go. Brandon Marshall, the linebacker, uh, suffered a kind of a wrist tweak. He's already been cleared to return. Uh, They might play it a little bit safe with him just because they don't want to tempt fate this early in camp, but he too was back at walkthroughs per multiple reports. And then Philly Brown, The we, we, I told you we were going to get to him. The Broncos signed him when they found out Carlos Henderson wasn't going to show. And also Jimmy Williams uh, is contemplating his football future didn't show. Um, Philly Brown was signed, got to Denver, Got to the weight room, bumped his head on some some kind of weightlifting accident. Hit his head. He's actually in concussion protocol, so he actually <sighs> suffered a concussion. Okay, so we'll see him eventually, but it's probably not going to be this week. Maybe toward the end of the week, we'll see. Uh, and then you got Jeff Hiredman, the tight end. You alluded to it. He missed Monday's practice. Uh, I mean, he was on the field, but he was watching from the sideline with uh, some knee soreness. I don't know, Jeff Heyerman, the Again, going back to the predictor thing, future uh, behavior, past behavior. I don't know. You got to wonder about Jeff Hireman. and then lastly, you got Marcus uh, Marcus Rios, the second-year former undrafted cornerback out of UCLA, He's dealing with a hip. He's day-to-day. So the Broncos have been nicked a little bit, Zach, but uh, you know, thankfully, it hasn't been anything too serious thus far.
1: You thought the injury bug was biting hard today, but fortunately, you know, it wasn't that bad. Garrett Bowles is one tough son of a gun. Remember last year when he looked like he broke his ankle then he was practicing four days later? Nothing really hit this guy down. So thankfully, uh, they're very high on him this year. They need him, and thankfully it wasn't worse. He's already cleared to return. The only player that's really out for an extended period... Is Jordan Taylor, who's on PUP after right, having right. hip surgery. That's the only player. Other than that, they're going to be mostly at full strength uh, going into the preseason and, of course, the regular season. God willing, they don't suffer any more injuries. Uh, but the Philly Brown thing to me is crazy. I mean, he gets he gets concussed by hitting his head on a, a weightlifting equipment. Yeah, I don't know. It's one of those summer stories that you you can't make up. But other than that, uh, dog, you yeah. got to tone it down in the weight room. Man. <laughs> He's mean, going too hard in there. Come on, dude. Too you got excited a football career
0: to consider here my my brother yeah, um so yeah just one of the more bizarre stories to come out of dove valley in recent years a guy suffers a concussion in the <laughs> weight room but hey you know anything can happen um but uh, let's let's uh, turn to quarterback watch it's been a while since we had uh Uh, something to talk about with regard to quarterback watch. And obviously we've talked about Keenum and, you know, quarterback watch, it's kind of lost some of its luster in that there is no open competition for the starting gig, but there's still plenty to talk about, uh, including what we're hearing on Paxton Lynch and Chad Kelly. Now, one thing I thought was interesting, and I wrote about this on Monday was Cecil Lammy of one Oh four three, the fan tweeted the following. He said, quote, I haven't seen Chad Kelly take a second team rep yet in camp. Could have missed it, but that's my early observation. That being said, Lynch is still making the mistakes that plagued him—batted passes, wild accuracy. Any move Kelly could make comes in the preseason. Close quote. So, basically, more of the same from Paxton Lynch. Everything we've come—we've uh, become accustomed to. Chad Kelly bringing up the rear on the third team, yet to be given second team reps now here's where it kind of gets weird okay here's what Vance Joseph had to say about Chad Kelly and Paxton Lynch but pay close attention especially to what he has to say about Chad Kelly really quick
1: I think Paxton's doing a good job with his footwork Um, he did a good job uh, day two of going through progressions and finding the third and fourth guy in the progression that's that's improvement for Paxton obviously Um, he's completing the football that's that's key Uh, Chad you know Chad (laughs) Chad's different he's a playmaker I mean, the uh, the dirty to play, you know, if it's a dirty play, he makes it look clean. That's that's his strength. I mean, he's just a playmaker. So if it looks really muddy, he comes out and makes a play. That's what he does. You coach, know? But he they're, more, more, they're more both playing coach. good.
0: All right, so no second team reps for Chad Kelly, Zach, but his coach compliments him over Lynch. What are we to make of this situation? He calls him a playmaker. He says that Chad is, quote, different. And then as it relates to Paxton Lynch, he's talking about like it's some great achievement that he's actually completing the football. Okay, And this is the weird football quarterback world in which we live in now is the team constantly trying to prop up their former first-round pick. But I agree with Cecil. In my personal take, I agree that his, Chad Kelly's opportunity to climb the depth chart is not going to come till preseason. But what is your take? Is this a front-office thing? I mean, is Elway just kind of
1: strong-arming VJ into keeping Lynch with the twos for now? I've said it on a number of occasions and I've written about it that the reason Paxel Lynn still has a job is because of Elway's ego and is because he was a first round pick. If he was a fifth, sixth rounder, he would have been cut this offseason. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't really take Joseph at his word because this is a guy who spent most of the offseason talking up Paxton Lynch, saying he wants him to relax and just uh, not worry about starting for whatever whatever that meant. Right. So, you know, I think it's still way too early. It's still in the infantile stage of camp. We have to see how the preseason is going to play out. Uh, but, you know, Lynch looked good on the first day of camp. He was completing some passes, and he's developed a rapport with Cortland Sutton in particular. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Chad Kelly's definitely Made up the ground a little bit, and I think it's even for the most part. I don't think Elway necessarily is sending an edict to Joseph to definitely get him the second team reps. I think it's just how it shakes out. And as a former first round pick who has some experience compared to Chad Kelly, a seventh rounder who has no experience, it's just seniority rules in that case. So uh, it's still too early, I think, uh, but it's going to be a competition that comes down to that fourth preseason game. What interests me is how uh, VJ says. That Chad is different, you know. That
0: what what does that mean? My interpretation of that comes back to personality with Chad being mm-hmm. the alpha type, and Paxton Lynch being a little bit more reserved, a little more passive, kind of the beta to Chad Kelly's alpha. That's how I interpret that. But we'll we'll see how it shakes out. Since we're running out of time, I'm going to move this thing forward a little bit. Um, we got we got to talk about this. I thought there was a unique quote. Maybe it's just me. Jared Veldier, obviously, finally we see him on the field after him uh, spending all the offseason on the sidelines with trainers, recovering from that ankle, hits the practice field starting Saturday, and he's been going against, you guessed it, Vaughn Miller as the right tackle. Now, I touched on this Monday in a written piece, but Veldir used an interesting metaphor to describe what it's like to go against Vaughn Miller. I don't have the audio, so I'm going to read it to you. What is it like to go against Vaughn Miller? Quote, it gets you better. There's something new that I'm trying to focus on almost every rep. It's like that really long par 3 in a in golf that's really hard to hit the green kind of like that except running at you it might not make sense but until <laughs> you've done that stuff maybe you'll understand but it's awesome it's a great chance to be able to go against the best pass rusher in football every day makes me have to bring my best every day and that only makes you better close quote so an interesting metaphor if you think about it what would that be like a long par three in golf everyone's experienced that if you if you play golf you've experienced that where it's really hard to land it on the green except it's coming at you that's what it's like to try and get your hands on vaughn miller okay and with how stacked the afc west is at edge rusher um you know especially coming off of veldir's side of the line i think we should consider his battles with Von miller to be a, a
1: blessing of a disguise what do you think zach First of all, I love that quote and that metaphor. That's, that's great. Uh, it's only going to make him better. When he was in Arizona, he wasn't facing a, a pass rusher of Miller's caliber because there is no pass rusher of Miller's caliber. He is the best pass rusher in the NFL. And to go against him every single day in practice for the entire year is only going to make him better when he faces players that are not as good as Miller. It's going to feel like a piece of cake. Yep. And like you said, in the, in the AFC West, you have – all those pass runs with the Chiefs and you have Bosa and you have Melvin Ingram and you have Khalil Mack, it's going to make it feel like he's prepared already. And if he can beat Von Miller or at least contain him, because you can't really beat Von Miller, it's going to make the Broncos better on that right side. And hallelujah, they don't have Menelik Watson there. He never heard a quote from like that from him. So, <laughs> um, it, yeah, I fully That's agree right. with that. That's right. And uh, I'm, I'm happy that he's here. Amen. Now, as teased,
0: we are unveiling a new segment entitled debunking a bad take where we're going to dissect and refute some bad analysis out there that we have found on the interwebs and zach and i are completely open to listener suggestions for this segment so each week you guys keep an eye out for bad takes when you see something ping us on twitter at HuddleUpPod, or you can hit us up on our individual twitter accounts or in the mile high huddle forums but in honor of this being the inaugural episode for this segment we'll debunk a couple of bad takes The first comes from Matt McChesney. Now, Zach, you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong on this because I have to admit, I apologize. I didn't know who he was. But he's a trainer, uh, gets linemen ready for the draft. His Twitter profile says he's also involved in college recruiting, etc. But McChesney appeared on Orange and Blue 760 in Denver, which, by the way, is a must-listen during camp. If you want to know what's happening in real time, out on the field, uh, tune into to Orange and Blue 760 during the day. But anyway, McChesney appears, uh, and he offers up Devontae Booker as a candidate to be a surprise cut this summer. Yeah, And, you know, I mean, technically, this is Denver's number one running back on the depth chart heading into camp, but in this guy's eyes, he's the casualty. So, Zach, start us off. Tell us why this is a bad take.
1: Well, why, why is this even put out there? Like, how does that make any sort of sense at all to – Say that the most veteran running back on the roster, who is the best in pass protection right now, is going to be the one that's going to get cut? Why? It just makes no sense to me. He's not only going to make the roster, he's going to be probably the starting running back in week one. He might eventually lose his job to Royce Freeman. Uh, Philip Lindsay might make the the 53. He might make some noise, but Devontae Booker is going nowhere. He's probably locked in as atop the depth chart. So to say he might be the surprise cut, it, it's just not going to happen. It's yeah. it goes beyond a bad take. It's just it's just implausibility. It's just a guy.
0: All due respect, you know. Don't want to throw shade on him. I'm sure he's a great dude. He obviously knows football very well. But what this tells me is that it's a guy who hasn't really been paying attention this offseason. And it's a guy who has been unimpressed with Devontae Booker, like a lot of people, in his first two years with the Broncos, but he hasn't been listening to what the team's been saying all offseason long. They cut their leading rusher last year because of their faith in Devontae booker yeah they didn't want to pay cj anderson but the the confidence they had in saying we can afford to let him go was because of Devontae booker and then you know a little time goes by just so happens then they draft royce freeman in the third round but they've still continued to say nothing but good things about Devontae booker and to your point he's the best pass protecting back they have on the roster you don't think that counts it absolutely makes a difference, even if he was the worst running back, actual ball carrier among the five backs on the roster right now. Just the fact that he has the best hands and can pass protect earns him a roster spot this time around. So that's
1: that's what it tells me. Uh, it's just, it to me, I can't even fathom why they would cut him. And uh, like you yeah. said, the Broncos and Vance Joseph have wanted a committee approach. And they they got rid of CJ like you said because they wanted to give Booker uh, more carries. And I know you and I are fans of him, Chad, but I don't get. I still don't understand the hate for Devontae Booker. Right. He's the the black sheep of this roster, and I don't know why. I don't know what he did to deserve that distinction. I think he's a very talented running back, but yeah, uh, we'll have to see you know what happens.
0: Well, I talked to a fan today. I had a little bit of a long conversation on social media, and I think and he Devonte Booker was this was the subject of this this conversation, and. I think the perception a lot of fans have, and one of the reasons why people just aren't high on Devontae Booker, is the fact that you look at his career rushing average, I think it's 3.6. It might be 3.8, but I think it's 3.6. And they go, oh, look, he can't even m- muster four yards. Well, the thing you got to keep in mind with Devontae Booker is if you go back and watch his Utah tape, this was a guy that was consistently getting to the second and third level, okay, as a running back. Then you get to the pros, and he's not – He's having a hard time breaking tackles. He's just not elusive. And, you know, what's the difference? Is it just because of the speed of the game? It's better athletes in the NFL. What is it? And while that might have something to do with it, the thing you have to really factor in here is that Devontae Booker has not had a healthy season in the NFL yet. As a rookie in which he led the team in rushing, I remind everybody, Devontae Booker was coming off a botched knee surgery he had it during uh, the college football season and then to have it had to have a cleanup procedure on it because it wasn't a very good uh, surgery done by uh, when it actually took place. So he had to have that redone, I think it was like in January. Then he gets drafted, so he's slowly working back from this knee surgery. Then he gets called on in week seven to fill in for C.J. Anderson, who's now torn his ACL. He's done, or MCL, whatever it was, knee injury, done. Goes on to carry the team as a leading rusher. And so then you fast forward to his second year. Last year he suffers that wrist injury and he's never quite himself. You start seeing him kind of get back to the Devontae Booker that, that we recognize from his time at Utah down the stretch, but by then the season's over and you know the fans aren't looking for silver linings. I mean it's it's full on Bronco Apocalypse five and eleven. So <sighs> I think that's the big thing. And the, so the bright side is this. Booker is entering his third season, I think. We could see a
1: quantum leap from him, but especially because Zach is finally healthy. Yeah, and it's also the sample size is that he's a backup, and the Broncos don't have the best run-blocking offensive line, at least the last couple of years. I mean, if he, did, if he gets less carries, and the yards per carry average really doesn't matter to me. It's like a, a QB rating. You don't, It's not the end-all, be-all as to what a running back could be in the NFL. So I don't put too much stock in that. I'm just a, a bigger fan of Devontae Booker than most, I guess. I think he could be a really good starter for this team, if not a starter, definitely uh, a passing down third down back. You know, uh, you know, to, after after Royce Freeman comes in the game and takes those early down touches, I think he's the perfect lightning to Freeman's thunder. Yeah, we'll see how it plays out, but he's definitely not going to be a guy that ends up on the cutting room floor. No, in not
0: Broncos. Uh, Our second bad take was brought to our attention by a listener. We put it out on Twitter. And uh, apparently Bleacher Report put out... uh, Okay, so eight of Bleacher Report's quote-unquote NFL experts voted on their choice for AFC West champions. Who's going to win the AFC West? And the distribution of votes was as follows. The Chargers received four of the eight votes. The Chiefs, two. The Raiders, two. And you guessed it. That leaves zero for the Broncos. So... Here's the thing. I can understand, Zach, why some analysts around the NFL are so high on the Chargers. I mean, you look at the talent on both sides of the ball and the fact that they have a proven, prolific veteran quarterback still. I get it. Even if I disagree with them, I I at least understand why everyone's crowning the Chargers. But for the Broncos to receive zero votes, and yet the Chiefs and Raiders each receive two? I mean, you've got a Raiders team that's that's going through a, a complete changing of the guard so to speak you got a guy head coach who hasn't coached for a decade and you're expecting them to do better than the broncos than the chiefs they're also going through a, a transitional era going from the franchise quarterback that is or was alex smith to the essentially rookie quarterback patrick mahomes so i just don't understand that i don't understand how the chiefs could get to the raiders could get to the broncos get zero but
1: what are your thoughts on this particular take what a surprise. The media disrespects the Broncos. It happens every offseason, it seems like. And it's happened many, many times this offseason alone. A Sports Illustrated predicted the Broncos would finish, I think, 4-12 and 12 yep, it was yep, this season. Sure. A loss less than they had last year with a much better <laughs> roster. doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. It, there's always so much bulletin board material out there. And this is no different here. But like you said, I can understand it. Every other team, the Chargers have that quarterback in Phillip Rivers. They have a pretty stacked defense. Uh, the Chiefs have a great coach in Andy Reid. The Raiders have John Gruden back. The Broncos are that unknown with a lame duck head coach and a, a retooled roster uh, and many different moving parts. I can understand why they get zero votes. I don't agree with it. I think they got should have got one. Um, but Chargers are snake bit right now. So I, they've, they've yeah. Injury after injury, injury after injury. never ends. And, And the Broncos, you know, they're kind of up and coming in that division. So it's just more disrespect. It's more bulletin board material for the Broncos to to feed on. And they do. They like being in the underdogs. They thrive on that. You saw that in 2015 in the the Super Bowl season with Carolina. They love being disrespected, and it, it fuels them. So this can only help them, even if it is a really, truly horrible take.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, Bleacher Report, hats off to them, you know. Rock on, Salute. you guys. Salute, whatever. But you can't read too much into it. It's it's just media trying to create content uh, and uh, doing their best to add a little bit of analysis behind it. So, again, though, you guys, when you see a bad take, hit us up. Let us know about it. We'll take a look, see if it's uh, something we want to address and debunk on the show. Now, before we get out of here, let's take some time to uh, take a peek inside the Mile High Mailbag. Because Zach and I are your football priests, we're here to offer absolution and answers to to your Burning Broncos question. And our first question comes via Jacob Smith on Twitter. Jacob, of course, a great longtime listener of the show, Mile High Huddle VIP subscriber, huge Broncos fan, and he really knows football. His question, Zach, is how is the third cornerback competition shaping up so far? Brock hopefully gets better soon, but I think Yadam will compete hard for that spot, and we know. Just a quick side note, Zach. We obviously uh, got a report on Monday that Brock was receiving a lot of reps at the number two corner over Bradley Roby. But your answer for Jacob?
1: Well, Brock, I think also missed the walkthrough with an injury, if I recall correctly, today. So yeah, I don't know what the deal is there, but he will be healthy. And I don't think Yadam is in the competition or in the mix to to, to compete at that spot. Whoever loses that battle between Roby and Brock will get the number three spot. And then even then, I think Yadam will compete with Brendan Langley and Marcus Rios for that dime spot. So uh, Yadam, he's a developmental guy. They they drafted him in the third round like, like Langley last year. Uh, to build him up in that no-fly zone to kind of ease him in there. Uh, But Brock, I like that pickup. A lot of Broncos fans did not like that, but I think he was a good, sneaky veteran addition who when healthy and used in the right scheme. Uh, Could be a good addition to this defense. So whoever wins that that second corner spot between Roby, and I think it will be him, uh, that number three will be Brock. I think that's already locked into place. I. (laughs) It's, he
0: was a solid pickup. I'm not going to throw shade on Tremaine Brock. It's been a while. You know, the NFL is a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately league, and it's been a while since Brock's done anything. But he still has thrown up some, a couple of really good seasons uh, as a former undrafted player. So I think it was a solid, under-the-radar veteran pickup, especially for the price tag, you know, whatever it was, $4 million bucks, uh, if he hits all the escalators on his deal. Mm-hmm. But I still don't understand why they are giving, uh, pitting Bradley Roby in any kind of a – real competition or taking any reps away from him as that number two uh, corner on the outside. Maybe there's some kind of master plan that we're not seeing up to this point, but I don't see any reason when you're paying a guy nine and a half million bucks or whatever it is for Roby on his fifth-year option as a former first-round pick, you need to see if this is the guy that can be your shutdown corner of the future, why you're giving, him, uh, giving up precious reps for him to continue to develop to a journeyman like Tremaine Brock that's here on a one-year short-term deal. So we'll see. We'll see. But uh, we're running out of time, so I'm going to move through this. Next question, it's a juicy one. comes from Driscoll Jones on Twitter. Also great listener of the show. Phenomenal football conversation on Twitter. What up? For the first two days of camp, all I heard was how the offense dominated the defense, but today the guys had on shells, and you didn't hear how great the offense was. Does having shells and pads on make – a difference for the offense performance-wise. And I'll just say this real quick before I serve it up to you, Zach. Uh, it wasn't quite as many outgoing wow moments from uh, from those in attendance, but if you go back and watch some of the highlights, I, I I would encourage you again to go to Broncos YouTube and check out that clip from day three. A lot of offensive fireworks going on today.
1: Yeah, I was going to say the offense still had a pretty good day today, so it's not like the defense dominated them. They, the Case Keenum still had good passes and they were moving the ball, so in terms of answering the question, though, uh, pads and shells really only help. You know, when they had goal line drills and when when teams can hit in training camp. And with the CBA, the you know teams can't do that anymore. So that's more of an indicator as to what the players could be. I know Vance Joseph wants to see the running backs and pads to see who stands out among that group. Probably Royce Freeman because he's that big banger. It doesn't really lend too much insight into what a player can be. Uh, the bigger test will become when the games start counting and they start get going against other teams they can play real football. Right now, it's still practice uh, in the truest sense.
0: I mean, I think the biggest difference as far as shells and pads is when the pads go on, um, you really start to see where the bear craps in the woods at the point of attack. So you want to pay attention to whether or not the offensive line is getting any push in the running game, whether they're able to open up any holes because now they're in full pads and they can use their size as as a real weapon, even though it's against teammates. I mean, they're going to be playing at full speed, popping each other. So you want to watch kind of where the points of attack are, the offensive line and then on the other side of the ball, the front seven. So, But, again, getting back to the offense thing, I don't think they took a step back on Monday. It just was – uh, maybe not quite as many eye-popping plays, but if you go back and watch that highlight clip, there's plenty to see there. But last question, then we're out of here. Comes from Josh in Centennial from Twitter. His question, how long before
1: Royce Freeman is named the starter, Zach? If he's named the starter. I wouldn't really chalk it up to being a sure thing just yet because, I, like I said, I am higher on Devontae Booker than most others. And if he steps up in that starting role, I think he could retain the job. Uh, but playing devil's advocate, though, if he does lose his job, it will happen midseason. And I think when Freeman gets his legs under him, figuratively and literally adjust to the game and where he fits in in this offense. So I'm going to say like week eight, week six to week eight, if Devontae Booker is still that purely passing back and Freeman can come in on early downs. Uh, but regardless, though, my personal feelings that the Broncos will have a true committee. Yeah. And that's Freeman, that's Booker, that's Lindsay, and that's Henderson. Maybe be all four running backs get touches this season uh, but if he does win that starting job I don't think it's going to happen in training camp barring an injury I think it will happen sometime uh, in midseason.
0: yeah and you know what I've uh I I, I like Freeman his odds at, at uh, becoming that lead rusher that the Broncos are looking for um I think he offers more as a pure runner than Devontae Booker, but he's not as polished as a receiver, and he's not as as proficient as a pass blocker, which makes him not as valuable necessarily for all three downs. So to Zach's point, I think you're going to see a pretty fair and balanced running back by committee for most of the season, barring some kind of uh, you know serious injury to one of the top two guys. So we'll see how that continues to shake out. And we're I don't know, 10 days from the first game against uh, the, the Minnesota Vikings will come to town August 11th. So we'll start to see a little bit more how it's shaking out, how it's all coming together when they go up against outside competition in a real game scenario. But that's all the time we have for today, you guys. You can find my partner, Zach Kelberman, on Twitter, at Kelberman247, myself, at Chad and Jensen. Make sure you're subscribing, y'all. Make sure you're taking some time to leave a creative review and keep your eye out for some bad takes, Ping us, hit us up if you see something. We'll talk to you next week. For Zach Kelberman, I'm Chad Jensen. See you soon. Mile-high huddle.